Hello there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your discussions about film. So before I get started on the main topics of today, you may have heard in the news that the Tom Cruise, the absolute absolute madman that he is, has decided that he wants to be the first person to make a feature-length film in space. Uh, that's real life out of space, that's uh, not on Earth, but in space. Uh, apparently he's uh, looking to work with also another madman, Elon Musk, uh, who has an equation for a child and whose truck lost a fight with a brick. So. Uh, two absolute madmen, but if anybody can pull them off, pull it off, it's definitely going to be Tom Cruise and Elon Musk. I mean, they get some of the weirdest things going. Tom Cruise is willing to, he's willing to die for the people. He's willing to do that. He's willing to do a Felix Baumgartner. He's willing to skydive from the edge of the atmosphere. He's going to kill himself doing it. And we'll all go and watch it because, uh, one of these days, he is going to kill himself doing something for a film, and uh, it will be his. It will probably be his biggest film ever. Um, but um, like I say, if anyone's going to be able to pull something like this off, it's definitely going to be them. And just get Michael Bay in there. Why not? He can direct it. He's he has all sorts of weird things. He's got military contacts. Maybe he can get access to a rocket with. Elon Musk, yeah, go on, get it, get all the weird, weird and wonderful filmmakers and uh, minds to to actually make this happen. Um, obviously, it's not. I mean, it will be like the peak of social distancing, wouldn't it? We're going all the way to space, the social distance. But uh, yeah, I just think that it, whatever it is, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm up for it. Go ahead. By, I mean, it doesn't affect me personally, but I mean, by by all means, go ahead. I would definitely see this. Um, and I think if this does happen, it could, whether Tom Cruise dies or not doing one of his crazy stunts, I think it could be like the biggest film of all time anyway. Just the fact that it's been filmed in space. Um, as long as it's like got a decent plot to it, I guess. But I mean, who cares? It's more about the action, isn't it? Um so, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, uh, it's a, an interesting concept, and I look forward to it. I mean, I don't think it'll be made for many, many years, by which time Tom Cruise will probably be no longer allowed to do stunts, because he'll be too old, but who knows. Uh, let's see, they could surprise us and pull it out in, like, 2025. Here's a, here's a film made in space, uh, but... I, I'm a bit sceptical, but I'm all for it. But moving on to the main thing. One of the main sections of this week, I mentioned it last week. Uh, it's Alpha Set. So this is where I take three films. Uh, I look, I watch three films that I've never seen before. They all start with the same letter of the alphabet. Um, films that I've wanted to watch for a while, films that uh, I've heard good things about. Um, and this week we're on set A, because uh, last week was the first week uh, back and for me, and uh, and so I just did numbers. 
Well, this week is the first first set of the alphabet. So we're doing A, and I did put up on Twitter uh, what the films were on Monday uh, when I decided what they were, and I will be doing that uh, in, in the uh, weeks going forward. I will be choosing the films on a Monday and, and tweeting it out. Uh, so if you like to watch uh, the films along with me and compare notes, then you can do, but you don't have to because these are all spoiler-free. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and get in with the crack on with the first one. Uh, it's Ad Astra, so it's set in the near future. I mean, it can't be the near, it can't be that near because everybody's out of lockdown and touching people, so it's the distant near future. And Brad, Brad Pitt, Brad Astra uh, travels across the solar system in his Vauxhall Astra. Uh, to find his dad, Astra, and stop power surges while being sad, Astra. Uh, so, yeah. It came out towards the end of last year. I did want to see this at the cinema, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, it had a $90 million budget, uh, which is pretty good for this sort of thing. Obviously, it's pretty much all CGI because it's space. I mean, nobody's filmed in space yet. But, um, yes, $9 million is not too bad, I guess. Uh, it, but it did make only make $133 million, uh, back. And uh, if you were here last week or other weeks that I've been uh, doing the podcast, if you uh, have a budget of, say, $90 million, you need to make two times that amount to break even. Um, so you'd need to make $180 million because... A rule of thumb is that marketing is generally the same. The marketing budget is generally the same as production budget, uh, but they just don't necessarily say that. So, uh, so to make money, it would have had to make uh, over one hundred eighty million. So, one hundred thirty-three million is is not enough. Um, so, I did lose some money. Um, but it it was quite fairly well received. Uh, it's got a six point six on IMDb, eighty-four percent Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of all critics. So, most people were positive about it. I myself uh, would give it a six out of ten. I, I mean, I was really looking forward to this. I enjoy the space films, kind of like kind of hard. Well, I was gonna say hard sci-fi, like a a more realistic sci-fi, kind of Interstellar, The Martian, Gravity, those sort of things. I do enjoy those sort of films, and I was looking forward to this quite a lot. Um, but I, I don't know. I just found that kind of disappointing. Um, there is a car chase on the moon, and there are some zero g tussles, but this is. Definitely 100% not an action film. It's very serious. It's very somber. Um, and it sort of has like a weird, like sort of numb and distant feel to it, uh, which feel, fits in quite well with uh, Brad Astra's character uh, because he he himself as a character is quite distant and kind of numb to things. Um, so yeah, I thought that's the sort of tone works quite well. Um, but like I say... It got like a 6.6 on IMDb, which is kind of the user ratings, I would say, and like Rotten Tomatoes is more critics. Um, but a lot of the reviews that I saw, I kind of just went down and looked at some of the reviews, and a lot of them are either like ones or twos out of tens, and they're like, oh, it's really boring, and it's full of hot plot, plot holes, full of plot holes, and it's just... No good. They it's almost like they were expecting some more like sci-fi exciting thing. I mean, a lot of this kind of uh, like uh, the ones that I mentioned before, the Martian and Gravity and Interstellar. They're all some of those. Well, 
gravity and the Martian or kind of survival and it's all about tackling certain problems and things like that. Whereas this is definitely not that. Um, and it's very character driven. There's not really, it's not really plot driven. Um, and and a lot of people don't like that, but there are some people that give it a nine or 10 out of 10 and like, this is an absolute masterpiece, which I'm in neither camp really. I, I, I don't mind films that are very character driven and uh, the plot holes don't really matter to me because it's not a plot driven film. Like in a, in a, if it was in like a The Martian or a Gravity sort of style, then I would be sort of a bit more nitpicky about the plot holes. But because it's more just character driven, I don't really care that much about about those things. Um, that's not where I have my issues really. Um, it does have a lot of kind of voiceover from Brad Astra. Um, care about how he's feeling, but I feel it doesn't need it. That's how I'm feeling. He told us how worth it he's feeling, and I'm telling you how I'm feeling, and I feel that we don't need to know how he's feeling because he has a he already has some psychic psychological evaluations that he has to do every now and again to make sure that he's like because he basically get like planet hopping a little bit to get to find his dad. And, like, every time he has to do some sort of space travel, and even when they're doing the space travel, like, partway through, he has to do, like, a psychological evaluation to see whether he's fine or not. And so, like, you don't need... So you already... Like, he already vocalises how he's feeling and stuff and how he is psychologically. So you don't need to know... You don't need a voiceover, is what I'm saying. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on... In these sort of voiceovers and psychic evaluations is psychic psychological evaluations i've just put psyche valves on my thing so it's throwing me off uh there's a lot of emphasis on dad astra leaving brad astra and kind of how it affected brad astra as a person but in the film and in the context of the film the dad left like nearly 30 years prior he is seen as a, like a hero in space travel um, so, like, he's constantly in people's minds. And so, like, Brad Astra is living in the shadow of Dad Astra a lot. Um, is this getting annoying now? Is that joke getting annoying? I don't know. I'll keep going with it. Uh, just give me a shout if it's annoying. But there's, a, like, a bit of a question mark as to whether the dad is actually this hero that he's made out to be. Um, I'd say that they sort of built up that sort of dynamic and that sort of like, uh, and Brad Astra's character in terms of him being kind of isolated and abandoned. But I don't feel like it had a huge payoff. Like I say, it was nearly thirty years ago. You don't, you've got over it quite. You probably got over it quite a lot. Um, he left when he was a teenager, so you probably you've had most of your adult life without him. So you've probably kind of got to terms with it and stuff so um i mean the moral of the whole film and kind of what it's trying to say i it's, it's not really a spoiler too much it's just kind of because it it's one of those films that you, you could spoil certain things but like in terms of like character driven and what you're trying to say what it's trying to say you can't i don't think you can spoil that too much because it's more in those sort of films it's all about the journey and kind of less about the end point in a way um but i feel that and, and you see interpreted different ways as well but the way that i kind of found it was 
the, the moral is kind of not to focus on searching for what could be out there and you should be focusing on what is here right now uh, rather than like the hypothetical you should be thinking about the the real and like there was and you, you, you get the impression that Dad Astra is doing that and that's why he left but like Brad Astra you don't get that there's a big sort of thing of like is is he following in his father's footsteps but and yeah, I don't feel that you ever necessarily saw that because he doesn't have a family, he hasn't left them. It's not like there's not that many parallels. And I feel like maybe you sh they should have delved into that more or like given because it kind of throws you into it quite quickly. Well, pretty much immediately. And you don't get much backstory into like what Brad Astro is like as a character and whether he is like his father or not. Um, But yeah, I mean... On the, on the positive side, everything, everyone agrees that it looks amazing. I mean, the moon looks great. The lighting's fantastic. There's a lot of interesting shots, kind of panning shots and things with... Um, there's a, there's one scene in particular where uh, Brad Astro's in a room talk, on the Mars base talking to someone and there's kind of interesting lighting going on that kind of casts shadows and light on people's faces and stuff. And it's very interesting and it's kind of almost... It kind of reminded me a bit of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine in terms of like the the colours and the shadows and the tones and things and yeah I mean it, it does look amazing uh, like I say um, so yeah I mean it's it's a good film I did enjoy it but I like I say I was kind of disappointed I wasn't necessarily expecting this action thing I was expecting a more somber character driven thing. But for me, it just didn't have that payoff at the end. And uh, a fun fact is that we'll get we'll get on to the fun facts section. Uh, and one of them fun fact, well, I don't know whether it's that fun or not, but the director had to actually change the ending to get the film greenlit by studio. So whether that means that the ending that the director originally, because he, he wrote and directed it. So whether he had a different, more satisfying ending to the story and then the, studios weren't on board for it or whether well I mean it may be the other way around it may have been a worse ending and maybe the studios actually pulled it back and made it a bit more tolerable I don't know but um it's one of those things but I I feel that maybe the ending is kind of where it fell apart I was kind of on it was almost one of those like is the is it all going to be worth it because I feel like the whole film almost hinged on on the reunion between Brad Astra and Dad Astra, and that kind of it left me a bit deflated. Um, the another interesting fact is that the there's a file name, uh, there's a file that's passed across, um, and it's like a top secret thing, and the file name is actually the same as the code found in an unexplained transmission in 1977, where I don't think anyone knew what it was or who received it but they just put wow next to it like an exclamation mark and nobody can explain what it is it's like basically it's like a transmission come from outside earth and so they, there's a, there was a lot of talk at the time and I guess there still is about whether it's possible alien contact but uh, that's why the kind of wow is there because they're like oh my god it's, it could be aliens um, and so the, the actual kind of like code or the, the kind of string of letters and numbers is the same uh, in this file name as it is in this code which is quite quite fun um, and also there's a point where he uses a rocket to get to the moon but it's a commercial 
space because commercial space travel is now a thing um and he uses a virgin galactic rocket which uh which is interesting because that was that's been a thing that's been talked about a lot um i remember that being talked about like 10 years ago even before that um in terms of commercial things there's also like because commercial travel to the moon uh is a thing also there's like shopping centers and things on the moon and there's a subway on the moon which is just very weird but no but like i say i i enjoyed the film but um like i say it's a very serious film don't go in there expecting action beats there is a couple of them in there that kind of break things up but it's almost like they just put in put those in to kind of keep people engaged and keep people in it because it's all a bit kind of stale and a bit almost a bit boring like you're delving into this character a bit too much so but like i say there's points where you're not delved into it enough but uh so yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag but um yeah it was all right uh second film that i watched was american made uh so in this film tom cruise this is a tom cruise film uh he plays an opportunistic pilot that winds up ending for both the cia and pablo escobar's drug cartel in the 80s uh it's based on a true story uh it came out in 2017 so a few years ago uh this one had a 50 million dollar budget um and it made 135 million dollars so this one actually made money it's the first film that i've talked about in the alpha set i know this is only the fifth but it's the first of the alpha set films to actually make money which i think is good i'm glad that i picked a successful film um so it's not only successful in terms of money uh it's got pretty good reviews as well it's got a 7.1 on imdb uh 86% on rotten tomatoes um i personally give it a 7 out of 10 um it's kind of weird but it is fun it's kind of like a a tamer wolf of wall street in a way um i mean i when this first came out i was really excited to go and see it again i didn't get a chance to but i was kind of sold on it immediately because kind of any light-hearted film that has lots of government agencies or crime organizations all kind of playing each other and kind of lots of mix-ups and things i just enjoy that sort of thing um so I, it was an easy sell for me and uh like i quite enjoyed it the uh tom cruise is really fun and it? it looks like he's having fun as opposed like rather than taking stunts and stuff seriously there's not too many stunts in this but uh i mean there's lots of plane flying and kind of fun interactions but well there's lots of plane flying but like i said it's more kind of the funny interactions and kind of it seems like he's just enjoying embodying this character. Um, he doesn't rate the story. He's got like a, a weird... Because you sort of... At points you'd be like... Uh, it's almost like, like the record scratching. Like, what's going on? Uh, I bet you're wondering what's going on. He's like, I do too. In fact, So this person's this person. This person's it. And this has happened. And it's all kind of... They have some cool sort of graphics at times. that are kind of 80s style-esque. Um... And he does explain kind of what's going on, but it's all in that fun, kind of light-hearted tone, which I think works well, um, as opposed to the uh, Brad Astra voiceover in the last film. Um, the production design was great. Everything looks... In, I mean, I wasn't born in the 80s, but from what it looked like, everything sort of feels 80s. Everything looks 80s. All the cars, all the... There's, there's splicing kind of camcorder footage that he's, he's done, and that's very 80s, 16 by 9. There's news footage as well everything just works everything feels 80s um and kind of a bit more i was going to say period but that's not the right word retro um 
well, like I say, it, this is based off a true story. Um, so, I mean, they can't really go off book that much, but you don't need to because there's so much in this. Like, it, it the film ex- talk, uh, kind of covers a 10-year period. And so there's just so many things that happen. I mean, I, it, it's this film's only an hour and 40 minutes, but I feel like it could have been longer. I feel you could have made it two hours, two and a half hours, just because there's so many things going on. I'm like... After an hour, I almost felt like done with it because it it kind of almost wrapped up a, a little bit and like things were happening and so many twists and turns had happened that like it, it's just a breakneck pace. Um, so I don't know. I think it would have benefited from being longer, so then you can kind of explore things a bit more and kind of slow things down a little bit. But like I say, it's just kind of go 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 all the time. Um, and it's kind of very plot driven, uh, unlike the last film. There's basically no character development. There's <clears throat> any sort of issues get brushed over at times. Um, I mean, there's sometimes I found that there was some questionable motives. Uh, there's some interesting family problems, but you can't really explore it because you just got no time to do it because you need to move on to the next thing that happens or the next twist or the next kind of issue or whatever. Like you can't. There's no time to stop and like look at it, um. So I feel like that's where it would have benefited from having a longer runtime. Like an hour and forty minutes is pretty short for for films these days. I feel like it definitely would have benefited from being over two hours, just to give it a bit more breathing room. Don't add anything more into it, but just give it some more breathing room. Um, all the all the side characters were really good. Uh, all the sort of like. The cartel or the agency uh, kind of figures. I mean, there's no necessarily massive stands out. Donald Gleason's in it as kind of a CIA guy, um, and he's good in it. I enjoyed his sort of character, but um, yeah, I mean, like I say, Pablo Escobar was good, and kind of the, the couple of side people in there. But like I say, there's no real standouts. They're just the ones that sort of had the most interaction with him. Um, but like I say, this is more kind of. Tom Cruise's film than anyone else. He's practically in every scene. So, um, yeah, like I say, there was, it was, the ending was kind of a bit weird. It was like, it was a bit slower and it's like, you've almost got time to breathe and then it just sort of almost ends suddenly and almost a bit ambiguously. I mean, you don't, I mean, it's obvious that it, I mean, it's not ambiguous in terms of like, this obviously happened. And like you can, you know from history that this happened, but you you wouldn't know that necessarily if you didn't know it was based on a true story and it was fictional. You wouldn't necessarily know there'd be like debates of like how the ending should be interpreted and what actually happened. And there isn't any sort of epilogue or kind of ending crawl either to sort of which happens in a lot of true story movies that that tells you and fills in those blanks. And if it does end suddenly then it, it tells you what happened and and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so I feel like it... I didn't necessarily mind the ending. It was just... It probably needed that sort of epilogue um, just to cl- clarify everything, I guess, and to f- kind of fill in a few facts and, and things. Um, but, yeah, let's go into some fun facts. Uh, Tom Cruise actually did all his own flying. I mean, of course he did. Uh, he's going to do anything that he can, any stunts or flying or driving or anything that he can do. Um, of course he is. I mean, he wants to go to space, so of course he's going to do anything. Uh, 
The script was actually on the 2014 blacklist. So the blacklist is an annual survey where producers uh, from various studios vote on the best screenplays that are yet to be made. So they've been submitted, but nobody's kind of made them. And this was kind of one of the most liked uh, screenplays. And that was back in 2014. This film came out in 2017. So obviously it probably only takes like a year or, or a bit more to to make that. So it, even so, it was still sat on the shelf for like a year or so. Um, but uh, when it was getting made, Tom Cruise, uh, Doug Lyman, who's the director, and Gary Spinelli, who's the writer of the film, they all lived together in the house that was on the set. So the house that they filmed in, and it was the kind of the family home of Tom Cruise's main character. They all lived in that house. Apparently, they had a fridge, and Tom Cruise had like a separate bit of the fridge because he wanted to separate his stuff from Doug Lyman's supposed junk food. So. Uh, which I don't know. It's I, it was an interesting thing. I would have thought that most people will be in hotels or, or whatever when when you're filming, but no, I thought that was quite an interesting thing. Um, I mean, it shows the sort of bond that that Tom Cruise and Doug Liman have because they both were they worked together on uh, Edge of Tomorrow as well, um, which was the film where he has the the exosuit thing on that's got Emily Blunt and there's aliens and there's time travel. And he keeps dying over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day, but well, war, a sci-fi war movie as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed the film. Um, I would recommend it. it. It kind of at times I don't feel it wet. It it could have been weirder, and I feel like it would have benefited from it being a bit longer, just so you can have those moments to pause and catch your breath, um, and kind of delve into stuff a little bit more. Um, but moving on to our third and final film, I feel like. In fact, well, I'll, I'll talk to you about it first. It's uh, it's set in World War Two. Um, so before World War Two, Germany had taken over uh, Czechoslovakia, that it, which was what it was called at the time. Um, and two Czechs are parachuted in to assassinate the top Nazi officer in Czechoslovakia. Um, so it, this came out in twenty sixteen. Um, it had a nine million dollar budget. But it only made five point three million, so it lost uh, quite a bit of money there. Um, I feel like maybe it there wasn't a huge marketing push for it, um, which which could possibly be why um, it it suffered at the box office. Um, but it, it was well received. Uh, it got a seven point two on IMDb. Um, it's got a sixty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I myself, I really enjoyed it. I think it's the best of the bunch that I've watched this week. Um, so I give it an 8 out of 10 um, it, it, I seem to be going 6, 7, 8 or whatever in both these orders it's completely complete fluke I'm just going in alphabetical order watching them and talking about them but um, yeah I really liked it I thought it was really good I mean it was it's kind of a bit bleak but I mean it's a World War 2 film so what can you what do you expect um, all the characters are really well done I mean they're all Czechs but everyone speaks English with an accent. Well, apart from the Germans, obviously, because like they, apart from the Nazis, because they're they're talking in in a German accent, and they're taught to speak in German. Uh, I looked it up. English isn't actually an official language of of uh, Czechoslovakia as it was at the time. But I mean, who cares? Like, it, otherwise, it would then be a foreign film. So, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But that they chose to go this way. So. Um, uh, yeah, so the main main two characters, main two uh, 
parachutists or uh, Killian Murphy and Jamie Dornan. So Killian Murphy's Peaky Blinders uh, is probably the main thing. He's also in 28 Days Later um, and some other, other films. Uh, Jamie Dornan is probably most well known for Fifty Shades of Grey, but also I think he was in uh, a series called The Fall as well, um, where he played a serial killer, I think. Or did he? I don't know. Um, I mean, they work really well together. I mean, I've seen them in interviews and it looks like they're good friends off screen, which definitely helps the relationship and helps the chemistry between them. They definitely look like they've seen some stuff and be, been through it, like the wars. Um, but yeah, like I say, they've got a nice kind, kind of dynamic and a contrast. Jamie Dunn is a bit more hopeful and a bit kind of more... Uh, friendlier and kind of willing to let his hair down and Killian Murphy's very much kind of this stoic serious kind of let's do the job and get out we don't want to have, we're not here to have fun sort of thing um I mean there's some really tense scenes in it uh as you get in a lot of kind of World War Two films uh resistance and things um but I thought it was really well done uh especially sort of at the end you, you get a lot of the kind of tense, like, oh, is, the, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then it does happen uh, in, one, in one of the final scenes, and it, it's, uh, it's it's very well done, I thought. Um, it's also got some nice callbacks in it, I thought. Uh, there's a scene earlier on where Killian Murphy has to calm Jamie Dornan down, kind of using a combination of breathing and reloading his gun, like one bullet at a time. Um and then later on in the film, uh, Jamie Dornan does the same for a young lad uh, near the end, which I thought was nice. Um, there's also a boy that plays violin throughout um, that works. I say he's a boy. He might be like late teens that plays the violin throughout. And I mean, they combine the, his violin playing in with the score and the sound editing, which is just amazing. Um, but like his violin and his violin playing come into the actual film later in the plot of the film which I thought was really good and a really nice way to kind of flesh out lots of characters and bring them in and make them make them not just little bit of characters, they're, they're involved and they're important. Um, the sound editing, as I said before, is throughout the film is just fantastic. There's a lot of kind of silence or soft music when sort of action's playing off this tense moment. And I feel that that gives it this sort of greater impact and it kind of helps make it a bit more mellow and somber rather than kind of like your your typical gun call like just shoot everybody so um i thought it was great um there is a torch scene towards the end which i mean it's a torture scene it's very brutal it's, it's quite harrowing stuff it's played very uh i don't know it seemed quite realistic i mean it was hard it's kind of hard to watch which i think most uh most of the torch scenes would be um, uh, like I said, there's a shootout in it that's very well shot, very well acted. Um, the ending crawl, um, that there's an ending crawl that wasn't in American Made, but there is one in this one, and it kind of details the true story, and it kind of hits hits hard because it it the it has it details the fact that basically seven parachutists held this building from all these Nazis from getting in for like six hours. So they were there for six hours, just bunkered down, just like shoot, shooting people as they came in. And I think it's just incredible. Um, the shootout that's in the film obviously isn't six hours long, but it's, it, it is long enough and it, it is quite 
kind of tense and, and nerve-wracking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel it's a great film. It's definitely tense, and it's but it's well worth a watch. Um, and like I say, maybe just I could have done with a bit more marketing because it's definitely a really good film. Um, there was actually, fun fact, um, I think there was actually another film uh, based on the same true story that came out either that year or the year after um, that had different kind of different actors in it but I'd, I'd never really heard of that one I'd only really heard of this one so um, they, they both kind of fell under the radar I guess um, another fun fact is well this is definitely not a fun fact really but that um, the torture room that's where they're that where the torture scene is shot um, is the actual room that uh, the Nazis used for real life tortures back in the day so um, getting that sort of kind of realistic and authentic uh, kind of setting um, also the SS officer that they're looking to assassinate is third in command after Hitler and Himmler so his car reg is SS3 um, though it's rumoured that he was actually in S SS4 or something in real life um, but anyway and the film, so basically the the whole premise of the film is that they're having to attack, to assassinate this SS officer, and it's called Project Anthropoid, and I looked up what Anthropoid meant, uh, and it means resembling a human being in form, so I, I guess that that is kind of a reference to him, to the SS officer, kind of being very inhuman, and kind of the, the nature of Nazis and the his actions and how he is towards people but he is in a human form so uh that's that's that so now i'm going to talk about a film that wasn't because uh, it didn't get made um so this week i'm talking about the film crusade uh so this is a film from the early 90s and it's basically Arnold Schwarzenegger killing dudes in the Crusades. Uh, it would have been directed by Paul Verhoeven who uh, famously made Robocop in the 80s, Total Recall and Starship Troopers in the 90s. Um, so you can kind of imagine what kind of tone it would have had. Uh, it also was going to star Jennifer Connelly who's been in various things, John Turturro who I mean, I really know him from being that crazy agent, government agent in Transformers films. Um, and Gary Sinise, who was in Forrest Gump, and uh, CSI. He was a CSI man, one of the ones. New York? I don't know. Who, who knows? Who cares? Um, but like I say, he was going to have that same Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven style. It's going to be blood everywhere, kind of cartoonish violence. Apparently, it, there was a quote that it was quoted to be, uh, entire civilizations out to destroy each other so you can Im just imagine the scenes that would have been there um he's described as being kind of part spartacus and part conan i've not seen either of those films all i know about spartacus is uh i'm spartacus i'm spartacus no i'm spartacus uh and i don't know why i did it in all high-pitched voices they definitely didn't do it in high-pitched voices more like i'm spartacus uh I mean, I saw the TV show, um, but I don't. Maybe that's the same sort of vibe. Uh, and Conan the Barbarian, I know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in that again. Uh, 
I looked it up. Apparently, he fights a snake cult in the first one, which, uh, I mean, hey, do what you want. It's the 80s, but it, that was that's kind of weird. Anyway, so it's going to be a mix between I'm Spartacus and fighting a snake cult. Um, I was supposed to play a peasant thief. I mean, he's not exactly a thief material, but I mean, who cares? It's not really going to be... He's not really going to be thieving much, is he? Um, and he was sentenced to death for stealing from the clergy. Um, but then the Pope shows up and he wants support for the titular crusade to the Middle East. So Ar Arnie, I don't know how, it's, it's just very vague. It basically just says he escapes and stages a miracle. And because of the miracle, he everyone loves him. And so he escapes execution. And then the Pope's like, I like this guy. We need someone like that. So he enlists him for the crusade. Which is a very, what well, is sure. Uh, so the CSI guy, uh, Gary Sinise, CSI guy, uh, he's evil. And he's Arnie's half-brother. I mean, they don't get anything like, but he's a half-brother. So who, who cares? Uh, the CSI guy wants to kill Arnie. Uh because he's part of the royal family, but Arnie isn't part of the royal family, and so he doesn't want someone in the family. He doesn't want to be related to someone who's not royal family, no matter how vaguely related they are. Um, so apparently, well, they must meet at some point, because apparently they fight, uh, but Arnie's captured. I mean, I feel like that fight would not happen that way. I feel like Arnie would just punch his head off. But anyway... Uh, they fight, Arnie's captured, uh, he's made a slave, um, and when he's there, he realises that Muslims aren't bad people at all, um, and then at some point he meets and saves the Princess Jennifer Connolly, because I mean, of course he does, he's, it's the 90s, um, I mean, it all sounds pretty standard and cliche, but apparently Verhoeven wanted controversy, like, he actively kind of wanted, like, thing like controversy i mean in the 80s with robocop and stuff it was all very very sort of violent um in total recall he kind of had a bit of satire about companies and corporate and business um in starship troopers he kind of made fun of a little bit of american military and kind of that was a satire of that and so this was going to be almost a satire of kind of like the christian crusades and whatever and like the christians were going to be made out to be the bad guys um I mean, everything was ready to go on this thing. The script was written. Sets were built in Spain. And obviously the cast was cast. Uh, but then they had a final meeting about nothing else. Well, it could be nothing else but the budget. Uh, so the production studio, uh, who were called Carol Co., uh, they basically said, well, uh, we want guarantees that the $100 million won't go over. How do we know $100 million won't turn into $130 million? And then Verhoeven just went ballistic. So Arnie basically had an interview with uh, Empire Magazine, the film magazine not that long ago, and basically told all this. And uh, he said that Verhoeven went ballistic. And he was like, what do you mean guarantees? There's no such thing as a guarantee. Guarantees don't happen, and if anyone promises you guarantees, they're lying. We don't even know that if you want out of the building here, you won't get hit by a truck. There's no guarantee that we're going to make it till tomorrow. I can't have control over God. I don't even believe in God. Why am I talking about God? 
but someone, nature, could just rain for three months and then what do we do? How can I give you a guarantee? This is ludicrous. Um, which, I mean, apparently Arnie was kicking him under the table at this point, getting him to shut up, but... And he said that, like, there's a time to be honest. Like, Verhoeven was very honest as a filmmaker, but, like, there's a time to be honest. And the final meeting about budgets definitely wasn't it. Um, so they, the company were like, well, if you've got no guarantee, we're not making it. Um, but then Verhoeven got the last laugh because, I mean, he made Showgirls was his next film, which apparently was no good. Uh, but then he made Starship Troopers, which everyone loved. Uh, I mean, it didn't stop Arnie. He made, like, True Lies and stuff. I mean, nothing... And Terminator sequels, I think. I mean, he. I mean, nothing stops Arnie. Look at the guy. Nothing's going to stop him. Um, but Carol Cole, they didn't do well. They uh, put 115 million dollars into Cutthroat Island, which is the biggest flop in film history. It made just 10 million dollars, and it bankrupted the company six weeks before release. So they've not even been shown in cinemas yet, and it they'd been they were bankrupt. There was. Apparently there was a lot of talk of that money was loads of money was spent on juice for the director and lead star because they were husband and wife. But I mean, if it that's true, shame on the studio. If, if even if it's true or not, shame on the studio for putting that much money into something that is the biggest flop in film history. Um, I mean, so but going back to Crusade, I mean. Never say it's never gonna make like like the same with all of these films that uh, haven't that haven't been made. I mean, never say never, but Verhoeven kind of has said since that like now it would need a budget of two hundred million dollars because of inflation and everything. And now Arnie's too old, so like if you you'd have to get someone else to do it. Someone said like if The Rock wanted it, then sure, like he'd probably be able to get it made. But I mean, I'd say it's probably not gonna happen at all. Um, but yeah, that was that was the film that wasn't, and it was uh, Crusade. So uh, we'll move on to the next section right now. The next section is Quick Fic. So this is the section where I take a random franchise, one of 20 franchises that I've got, uh, and I take one of 20 characters that I've got. I put that character, that random character in one of those random franchises and I'll have to either make a, try and come up with a prequel, a sequel, a spin-off or a reboot based on those random choices. So, uh, let's first find out what kind of film type I've got to make. A reboot. So I've got to reboot one of these franchises and that franchise is the matrix so i've got to reboot the matrix with john wick which i mean that's kind of amazing uh so we've got to reboot john reboot the matrix with john wick i mean it just works out wonderfully that both neo in the matrix and john wick are played by the wonderful keanu reeves uh, so basically, you could almost do, you could reboot it, and then you could put it, you could basically combine the John Wick universe and the Matrix universe. You could say that <clears throat> uh, John Wick is, I mean, uh, to be fair, we're just taking the character out of, right, of the John Wick universe, but I mean, you could get things dripping over from it. So you could, you could reboot the Matrix in a modern day, because the Matrix 
and as the matrix was set in 99 and that was like the peak of civil human civilization and that's what they wanted everyone to keep happy but i say why not set it in whatever year john wick came out 2014 and have it as um just a maybe you just make it a rather than it being a uh you have it almost like a purge like matrix where everyone kind of does what they want and so you get this sort of john wick like underground sort of vibe to it with all the like the high table and the continental hotels and all this kind of like hyper violence and things because that's what people are sort of enjoying um and you kind of maybe you kind of go or, or maybe you have it so you could do that so you could have like that's the matrix and people are more hyper violent and stuff so then if you get people coming in doing kung fu and shooting people up it's not that unusual and they will almost blend in a little bit but you could also another option is that you could do uh you could you could almost do it again set it in 99 you could say whenever but sure let's say we'll set it in 99 again and then instead of having kung fu masters and stuff all the kind of people from the actual world when they're put in the matrix they're not just doing kung fu stuff they're doing all this kind of like very precise headshots and stuff you get in john wick and there's all the you get the it's almost like people from the john wick universe are going into the matrix um and the kind of the real world because i think the a lot of the thing that people like about the matrix is the matrix itself and the idea but then they don't like the future aspect so maybe you get rid of the you you do the robots better maybe you do a more west world well not like like you do a more kind of human robot rather than weird squid like alien things for a start but then you could also um have have it be more of a john wick style universe in terms of um rather than it being this sort of almost post-apocalyptic alien robot sci-fi world you have a you could still make it post-apocalyptic if you wanted to but it's a hyper-violent criminal underworld kind of vibe to it and then they have to go into the matrix so there's a couple of little options there i mean either way john keanu reeves is definitely going to be in it um you could even if it's a reboot you could sort of have you could have neo being this sort of rather than neo being the one and being the focus you could have um you could even have john wick being the character but i feel like you want some sort of meet in between them because i kind of want to bring the neo the keanu reeves version of neo into it but without but i feel like if you brought the one from the matrix films you couldn't reboot it if in a way like you'd have that be a sequel so you'd have to get him to so you'd have to get maybe neo to be like an almost like another world or you could get neo to be like the architect or something like that and john wick meets and meets the architect or whatever um or easy fix to this is you just make uh john wick is agent smith that's that's also an option agent john smith like that's that's also an option i mean they they, they work they are quite similar characters in a way uh and john wick could be the virus um that, but 
I mean, it's it's sort of a reboot. Um, maybe that's a way that the uh, Matrix and the the kind of robots, uh, robot alien squid things, defend the Matrix and kind of protect it and do the antivirus sort of, or spread that sort of virus through the Matrix. And so in Agent Smith, they had these hyper violent uh, gun toting kind of rather than more the martial rather than le- having less martial artsy and more very precise headshots or whatever so there's a there's a few options there but um if you if you want to come up with your own options feel free um and feel free to get in touch with me uh which you can do on twitter at all out walker if you've got any any suggestions for the quick fix in terms of what you think would work well with matrix and john wick whether uh, you've seen any of these films or whether you do see any of these films after I, I've talked about them um, or what you think Crusade would have been like um, yeah feel free to follow me or, or tweet at me on at out all out walker or you can always send an email at uh, filmmeuppod at outlook.com thank you very very much for listening uh, once again uh, stay safe out there during uh, the lockdown and everything and I will hope to see you maybe not see you I hope to wave at you from a distance at least two meters apart next week bye